Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Danny Sender. Afternoon, Danny. How are you, man? I'm very well, thank you, Yas. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate your time. Um, just before we get into the thick of it, Danny, maybe just give a bit of insight around who you are, what you do, um, and it will kind of just unpack it from there, man. Yeah, so obviously, you said my name's Dan Sender. Um, I'm currently Charlton Athletics under 18, lead coach. Um, just recently come down from the uh, under 23s as it is now, under 21s, working alongside Anthony Hayes. Um, I led the 21s into the start of this season, and recently my roles has just changed with, with Hamza Saar, who's now become the professional development phase lead coach at Charlton. Um, so, yeah, got an extensive background in coaching and playing. Amazing. So just, um, you know, that's what you're doing now. But I want to take you right back to the start of your journey, you know, um, fine young man like yourself. Um, been in the year, you've been in the game for many years. Just tell us, you know, where, where, where did that start? How did you get into coaching? What was it about coaching in particular that kind of really piqued your interest? Yeah, I mean, if we, if we go right away back to, to the beginning of it, uh, half the finishing playing, playing career for around 16 years, played for several clubs in that time. Um, and if I'm being really honest with you, I said, well, there, wasn't, there wasn't a time where I felt, you know, there's some some coaches that will say to you, one name jumps out of my mind at the minute, Lee Johnson. I know Jono at the beginning of his journey, potentially through his, the connections with his dad, um, had a real uh, clear understanding and pathway to becoming a coach at the end of his playing career. That my journey wasn't was different to that. I was really focused on just reaching the highest level that I could possibly do as a player, without really thinking about the transition and what 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 that looked like for me. Um, fortunately, my career came to an end um, through serious injuries. It was only at the back end of my career I realised what sort of influence I was having in the dressing room, and in particular with the younger players. It was more of an unconscious influence, really, in terms of trying to guide them and shape them and help them make that transition from development football to senior football. And it was really unconscious of me to be doing that. But it was only until I stopped playing um, and took a period of time away from the game just really to reflect on the career that I had um, and what was going to come next for myself and my family that I started to really understand, well, actually, maybe that's where my coaching journey actually begun. Um in those moments where I was helping those young players to develop, um, so it really, it, it, for me, I think it probably started, it started there. But um, the initial contact came through, um, yeah, a weird one. It was an innocuous contact on LinkedIn um, from from somebody at Brentford 
recruitment at Brentford and asking what I was doing and whether I wanted to come in for a chat. So I took him up on that opportunity and went in another chat with Brentford and that's kind of where the journey started for me. It's, you know, it's quite interesting you mentioned there, obviously, that you didn't really start to think about it until, you know, your, your career was, you know, been and done, really. You know, you're kind of in that, in that moment where, right, what am I going to do now, now that I'm not playing? But um, was it not a thought at all in terms of what was next? You know, it might not have been coaching, but did you never really think, right, what, what nah, am I going to do? Nah, no qualifications, in yeah. coaching badges, no nothing, really. And... I don't know, like, certainly as a player, you're kind of encouraged to go towards more, more traditionally, right? You've finished playing, you've been a player for an X amount of years, in my case, over 15 years. So now the natural progression would be to go towards coaching. And the PFA did a really good job of getting, you know, the, the coach educators to come into the training ground and, and provide us with opportunity to do courses on site internally. Um, but it was a strange one. I was at Millwall. They came in and it was it was the UEFA B licence at the time. And I just had a really uh, major knee injury. I had a full knee, knee reconstruction. Um, and because I didn't really have an understanding of what coaching courses were, coach development was, I just assumed that it was going to be quite active and that I was going to be unable to, to really take part in the course. So I turned that opportunity down and I kind of look back in that in hindsight, I was, must have been about... 28 when that happened and it would have been a prime time for me to really start on my journey there and just get a different perspective and some real context to what coaching really is and what it looks like um, but unfortunately I turned that down so yeah so by the time I, I got to the end of my playing career I really it was from from ground zero really in terms of a, a coaching journey. Was that time from that because obviously you did 28 you've had the opportunity you turned it down and I'm pretty sure that you know that's an opportunity that gets presented to a lot of players towards the back end of their journeys but when did you eventually step into it so as i say so i went into brentford um i met up with a guy called stuart english um stu's currently head of coaching at sunderland now um at the time he was head of coaching at uh, at brentford um and i and i went in to see stu with a real open mind um if i'm being honest i, I still had some bitterness carried over from the way that my career ended in terms of the injuries and how i how the game i felt rejected me when uh, my playing career came to an end um, so I had some reservations there when I sat down with Stu, but Stu was just so clear on, you know, that was your playing career, right? This is a different journey for you. This is a different path, pathway and it can look different for you. It's up to you how you want to shape it. So I said to him, you know, I don't have anything as it, as it stands. So I'm open for you to guide me and tell me where you think it's best. But the one thing for me, taking the lessons from my playing career that I needed to have was that there was going to be a clear strategic plan put in place if this is the, the journey that I was going to pursue. So Stu and I sat down um, over a number of weeks um, and decided actually what's that plan going to look like. And in that first initial conversation, it was, right, if you're serious about this and you're saying that you, you're happy for me to help shape you, guide you, um, there's an under 12 session at, um, at the development centre. Um, you'll need to be there at seven o'clock on a Thursday night. Um, get yourself up there and then we'll have a chat next week and see how you feel about coaching. <laughs> I arrived at this session, there was like three balls, about 27 kids, multiple colours, bibs and cones and I just, my heart was pounding out my chest 
And I thought, oh, I'm so out of my depth here. I don't know where I'm going to start with these kids. And these kids are looking up at me just to say, you know, you've played, so therefore you must know. And I didn't. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, to be honest. Somehow I winged it through the session. I think I, I put on the world's biggest rondo. <laughs> and then I went back to Stu and I said, you know, it scared the life out of me. But you know what? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So he said, good. Stay at the development centre. Keep learning. Um, that will be the first part of, of the plan. The second part of the plan will be um, how we start to educate you. So it's time to get you on your, on your, uh, on your badges, if you will. Um, so I started that journey as well. Went through all my badges, did my youth modules, um, and all the way I'm progressing through the academy, going through under five pre-academy right away into the foundation phase. And it took some time at Brentford because the way Ozabanji was at Brentford, you, yeah, you had to be at a certain level to get anywhere near Oz's um, pitch side in his academy. Um, so that took a little bit of time to earn that respect and trust of Oz. And eventually I did that. Um, and I worked my way through the age groups, as I say, worked the nines, the tens, became lead 11s, 12s coach, um, uh, then moved up through 13s and 14s. And what was great about Brentford um, and the way that we put the plan together with Stu is that I've got a real broad spectrum of coaching from the development centre kids, the kids that are just trying to find their way into, into the academy, right away from the pre-academy up to the under-23s with, with the likes of John D'Souza. Um, and that was a fantastic learning curve for me, to be honest. And the, yeah, just the standards that were set and the, the level of player that I was working with and the types of educated people I was working for, I just saw football in a completely different perspective. So that's kind of where the whole thing ignited for me at Brentford. That's really interesting. I think I just want to come back to something else that you mentioned earlier. And I guess you mentioned, obviously, when you was a player, probably unofficially started for you then in terms of the way you were maybe supporting and influencing the younger players. What actually brought that to your attention? Was it was it a particular moment where you thought, actually, I'm, these kids are coming up to me, or is it someone that gave you an external bit of a feedback and said, well, Danny, you're actually having a massive influence on these guys, and, you know, here's that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the time I really noticed it, it was there wasn't anyone to say to me, you know, go and help the younger players coming through. It wasn't that. I felt that I was... I felt I was always been a natural leader from from a really young age. I made my my baby at seventeen, and I was never um, never shy in in voicing my opinions on and off the pitch. And never shy of being in a room full of experience. I felt actually quite comfortable that way. But never I could understand it, perhaps because I was too young. But the back end of my career, um, where I finished at Barnet, we had a really young squad. Uh, Laurie Sanchez was the manager at the time. We had people like Ricky Holmes in there. We had Michael Hector, Paul Downing, um, you know, some real young talent. They were all in alone at the time, these young players. Um, and I just felt, as one of the senior players in that dressing room, along the likes of, sorry, the likes of Stephen Cabber, um, I felt it almost a duty to try and help these young boys and make their way because, as I saw it, it was this was their opportunity. And I knew I was coming to the end. And I just thought, you know what? What can I actually do to try and give these kids the best start that I possibly can whilst they're here? Um, so I just tried to shape them in lots of different ways, really. Um, and as I say, it was only the coaching staff um, that stepped back and sort of said, you know, you're a real leader in this dressing room in a different way. Um, you know, sometimes I, I put a big demand on them because I felt that's 
that's the requirements of the game at any level, in my opinion. But other times there was times where I needed to to pull some of them aside and just you know give them some reassurance that they that were doing the right things and that they needed to continue with what they're doing. It was okay to to suffer at times, um, and that was part of their learning. Um, and I enjoyed that. And it was only as I say until I sat down with Stuart English and actually reflected on some of my moments as a player because he asked the same question: Well, at, at what point as a player did you feel that you could do this where were your skill sets and I didn't really recognize them if I'm being honest Shaz. Um, I just saw them as that's what you do as a senior player um, it was only after really reflecting and saying okay what what are some of the strengths that can I take from my playing career and carry them over into my to my new coaching career and that was probably one of them where I recognized at that moment I could do it just, just, just on that then, you know, you talked there about, you, know, you just thought it was a thing that a senior players should do for the younger players. Did, did you have someone do that for you when you were younger? Yeah. Like? yeah, I did. I was very fortunate. Um, so I came up in, in, in two dressing rooms. I started at Southampton um, and in that dressing room you had the likes of Colton Palmer, uh, Matthew Letizia, Jim McGilton, Ken Moncow real solid pros and at the time these these are the type of pros that because they I mean they weren't other than Matt Letizier maybe they weren't household names they weren't the glitterati of the Premier League if you will but what they were they were um, consistent professionals solid professionals good men um, and they were they were an example to me and I wasn't that close to them because by the time I'd left Southampton in my first year um, as a, an apprentice and joined Wickham uh, at 17, I, I entered the dressing room where I had the people like Steve Brown around me, um, Keith Ryan, uh, Keith Scott. Again, solid characters who really gave me a, a guidance of, of rights and wrongs, how to conduct myself as a young man, how to conduct myself on the pitch, on and off the pitch, even though at times it was probably difficult to manage me off the pitch. It was quite lively when I was a younger man. Um, but they were a real grounding for me, you know, and I, and I took a lot of lessons. And funny, it came full, it, it came full circle because Laurie Sanchez was, was the manager that gave me my debut when I was at Wickham. And then I ended up finishing my career with Laurie, you know, 15, 16 years later at, at Barnet. And he, he almost gave me the ownership to, I don't really like that saying, but to, to look after the dressing room. And I didn't really see it as that. I, I saw it more than that. I saw it more as a responsibility of just trying to help guide and shape some some young men trying to make their way into what was going to be a wonderful career. No, I think, you know, sometimes the stars align in that way where, you know, he gave you the opportunity and now you find the opportunity to repay him in some ways, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, just, you know, something interesting, obviously you mentioned earlier, you, know, you talked about about that that period where, you know, you were at Brentford. Now that period where Brentford initially had their academy and obviously I think they, re they reopened their academy now. Mm. Um, whether it's going to be similar or the same, I'm not sure. But you guys had a really, really strong reputation for what was happening at Brentford at the time. Um, lasted a few years, so, you know, presumably because there was so much competition and it just wasn't maybe worthwhile in the end. But what was it about that environment? Because I've had so many people come, you know, come through their time there and just talk so highly about the environment. You know, obviously a lot of people put it down to OC and his uh, his high standards. Yeah. But there's got to be something that there's something more than that. In terms of it's not just standards, it's you know, there's probably something there that breeds, yeah, people breeds, uh, breeds a development yeah. aspect of things. You know, what, what was that for you? People, that's it, that's the key thing to it. People, what Oz did was, yes, Oz had incredibly high standards um, of himself, first and foremost, and then those 
um, that worked for him um, and around him. He had a very good way of putting the right people together, the right ingredients of people together, if you will. So you'd have the balance of Stuart English, who was maybe the um, <laughs> the person that you could go to of reason um, when you felt that maybe things were uh, harsher than they needed to be or the demand was too high potentially or you needed some understanding, Shu would be the person that you could go to and he would be the voice of reason within the academy. And he had a wonderful connection with the players, in particular the players in the foundation phase. And then you'd have people in between that, like um, Aziz or Anthony Hayes, um, who were young up and come, not as 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 was old. <laughs> but in particular, um, Anthony Hayes, a uh, young, hungry, ambitious coach, willing, wanting to learn, fearless, um, John D'Souza, wonderful knowledge of the game, real deep knowledge of the game, a, a really top, high-level coach for us to be able to learn from. So there was a real eclectic mix of people. And then underpinned by all of that, we had um, a wonderful recruitment staff and Sean O'Connor um, and Miguel, um, who who brought in top, top players in the area, players that we were able to shape um, and mould and develop into to the Brentford player. And our motto was always find a way. Um, we knew that we were going to be competing against some of the, the more, the, the, the bigger clubs, academies, if you will. Um, but I was always that ensured that players and staff, that there was never an excuse and excuses weren't, weren't really accepted. It was always, you had to find a way and we had to work harder than every single one else around us because of the size of the academy. And that, and what that bred, that bred just a, a real tight togetherness within, within the group of coaches that we had and just an immense amount of knowledge um, within those people as well. So within that time, then obviously, did you, would you, were you there when eventually the academy closed down or had you moved on before then? No, I was there the... Um, the day that they broke the news the way they did. It was a happy moment. It was a, um, listen, I understand now why Brentford chose to go the direction that they did. Um, listen, where the club is now, it's, it's fantastic uh, for where they are now. How they managed the decision could have been managed a lot better. And I think in hindsight, they, you'd hope that they would recognise that too. Um, but the decision was made. Um, one I look at and I think we left a legacy of we've got some wonderful players doing that we're just starting to see the lights of Luke and Betty, you know, T at Crystal Palace all starting to come through. The coaches going on and, and having good careers as well. Um, so Oz in particular left a wonderful legacy um, from, from the, our Brentford days. We were highly respected and highly thought of. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was a difficult time to to see the hurt and the loss for all the work that was put in. But you know, decisions of football are made, and that is part of the game that you have to accept and understand. So moving from Brentford, then after that, where, what happens next for you? Where do you go next? Was there a bit of time where you had to kind of sit out and think about what was going to be next and whether it was still for you or not? No. So where where I was progressing through. I, there was talk of me joining Kevin O'Connor at the time, who was doing the 21s. Um, 
John D'Souza had moved on, Stuart English had moved on, um, and there was talk of me joining Kev with the 21, just as the transition happened. But at the time, I was leaving the 11s and 12s, and I was also leaving the elite development program in the college. So I had four teams in the college program as well, in the under-19 program. Because of the contract, that meant that the club couldn't release that part of it as well. So that, that continued for a further year. Um, which I oversaw that they then transitioned that over into the community um, and I could oversee and I oversee that for as I say best part of a year and then I decided actually it was probably more beneficial if I, if I moved on myself and so that led me to to becoming uh, Barnet under 18 head coach uh, going back to to where I was as a player and I never I never wanted to finish my playing career and just transition straight from the club that I was at and into a coaching role in that club. I wanted to go away somewhere different um, and reinvent myself, if you will, and earn my strikes. And in that five years, that's that's what I was doing. I was learning, I was shaping my craft um, to a point where I felt that I was ready to go out. And, and Barnett came around through, through um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I picked up the phone. It was an ex-Barnett player at all. I, I went through a process um, so that just came about through coincidence, really. Um, and I pursued that. I went into Barnet, become an under-18 lead there. Quickly progressed from under-18 lead to under-23 lead. Um, and then from under-23s, Martin Allen came in um, and quickly moved me into the first team. Um, and then Martin left. And John Steele and Darren Curran, Curry came in. I went back to the under-18s for a period of time. Um, and then Darren Curry got the job and then and then moved me up alongside him with, with the first team. So all the while I was progressing and learning different levels and taking all the knowledge that I'd had from, from my time at Brentford, from my time working in, in development football with the 18s and the 23s at Barnet and, and moving into senior football. But, you know, by that point, you've obviously started to develop a wide range of experiences across different age groups, different environments. Um, You've mentioned obviously working from pre-academy right through to kind of PDP and even first team at times. What would you say, if anything, um, are maybe some consistent variables or consistent things that you need to approach and have consideration for when you're working across players of whatever age group they are? Yeah, it doesn't matter what age group you do, the relationship is key and fundamental. It is everything. Um, earning players' respect, earning trust. I say it now, even when I've you know, taken over a new group at, at Charlton with my under-18s, my job is to earn their respect first, earn their trust first. It isn't the other way around for me. Um, just because I stand there as the coach, for me, it isn't coach's king. I don't have to stand in front of them and all of a sudden they give me their respect. For me, it doesn't work that way. Um, so it's funny, I got asked this question some years back, what would I do different with an under nine to an under 19? And it's very, li very little is the answer to that. Treat them with integrity, treat them with respect. Um, be honest with them, have your core collections of principles, align them with every single player that you work with, because they'll ultimately what boils down to, and, you know, you hear it quite a bit now, it's people. That's what we're working with. Before we're working with any level of player, we're working with a human being. So I don't think that there should be any different from a nine-year-old to an under-19. So nothing really changes in terms of those core principles. The obvious things between various of age and the levels of course all of that all of those things are important but of course fundamental for me is understanding that respect of the person's key no, I, th I think I just spot on I'm just I'm just thinking about it now obviously you know you, you, you've been a player um you've had, had, had a reasonable reasonably lengthy career 
Mm. Do you now, as a coach, think back on some of the moments you've had as a player and you think, why the hell did that happen? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, and that was a core reason for me putting a clear plan together. You know, as a player, you can only really see in front of your next game or your next move or the next window and you're constantly chasing. Certainly if you're, I don't know, I can't speak for the, the elite players, but you look at some of the elite, like Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, you, it's never enough. You know, he's approaching what his 40s, likewise, Lionel Messi, they're approaching the, what should be the latter years of, years of their career, but he's, he's still got that hunger and desire for more. And I don't think that's any different to myself at a lower level, but I'm just chasing. You're always chasing as a player. but So that kind of takes you in different areas and it, and it affects your decision-making, I feel. And sometimes that decision-making can be blurred and lead you to, to bad choices. Um, I never wanted that to be the case for me as a coach. I don't think you can ever predict where you're going to go and it's not ever going to be a straight line. But what I can do is try and ensure that every single decision I make is planned, is measured considered um so where i feel that i am now is not by accident um it is it is by design um and a lot of work has gone into that i'm at year 11 now of my plan um, i'm going into the second transition of the second 10 year block um and i have pretty much hit every single target okay not in the sequence that maybe i would have hoped or how the exact plan because I, I needed to have an understanding that was never going to be the case but in terms of by the end of year 10 everything was ticked for me mm-hmm. so i feel in control of where my journey is going um, and so i feel quite content with where i'm at i think i think something you, you've mentioned is i think is so key because we can have a plan but all it is is a plan mm-hmm. and not an absolute mm-hmm. and i think recognizing that actually you know, I, I, I do a lot of coach education and one of the biggest kind of uh, analogies I like to use is the idea of the TomTom. Like we, we know our end destination, but we, you know, based on what happens on the day, based on traffic, you know, whatever else may occur on the day, we might have to take a different route. And that's absolutely fine as long as we're clear on where, we, where we're trying to end up. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's also OK to say, actually, do you know what? This is taking a route that I didn't necessarily anticipate. That's not necessarily, I don't think it's taking me actually where I want to go anymore. I'm not actually interested in that in that end goal anymore. I actually want to do a bit of this instead. And it, it does happen that way sometimes. You know, so you talk there about, you know, your journey changing, you're now moving into that next transition of a 10-year, another 10-year block. But really interesting, you also mentioned, you know, you gave the example of Ronaldo and yourself and at a different level, always wanting more to get, be better, be the best, and uh, best you can possibly anyway. Where does that come from? Because you hear about it from people in so many different industries, so many different walks of life. Not everyone has that innate hunger and that desire to kind of just, I just want to be better. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you think you've picked up from a particular individual in your coaching, in, in your playing, or do you think that's through your upbringing, or where, where does that come from? Or are you just born with that, do you think? Uh, no, I don't, I don't necessarily think you are born with it. I think it is something that he's always certainly been in me um i see it in my kids and i do think it, it, it can be how you brought up where you're brought up the cultural influences that you have so many variables to it i don't think you can necessarily pinpoint for one individual where that desire and drive comes from i think it's it, it you see so many different people and their their reasons for it what their why is you hear about the why all the time don't you and and, and everyone's is so so different and varied. So I don't think you can necessarily pinpoint it. I also don't believe you're born with it. 
it's a debate, isn't it? Can you coach it? <laughs> um, which is a debate that can go on, that still goes on for years and can go on forever. Um, I can only talk from my personal experiences is that as long as I have a clear objective, because we talk a lot, don't we, about how we get there. Well, you've got to know what it is you get into and then you've got to have a real passion and desire and love for where you're going and why you want to get there and understand why you want to get there and if you really buy into that and if you really believe in that's what you want and that's what you're chasing then you'll find loads of different ways to get there um and you won't quit on it and you'll have that burning desire if you don't really if it's just you know i i want to be a let's throw it away i want to be a first team manager in the premier league okay it's a big statement do you really want to do that first and foremost? What does that look like for you? What does that mean? And then how are you going to get there? Because if you don't really want to do that, that's not, and you're just throwing that out there, you, the bit the, the in between, you're going to fall short. You're going to fall short for me. So for me, it's having a very clear understanding of why I want to be somewhere and why I want to get there. And then putting the in between part. Now, as a player, it was quite simplistic for me. I started in the Premier League. I fell out of the Premier League. The goal now came, get back to the Premier League. That's my goal. I didn't really have a, a how. It was just turn up at training, be the best I can in games, and hopefully one day I'll get to the Premier League. As a coach, I have a very clear picture of where I want to be and what I want to do. The in-between part now has to be highly detailed, sophisticated for me to be able to do that. Um, and that drives me every single day. And then on top of that, as we talk about, we were saying at the top of the conversation, you start to throw other things as you grow and you get older, kids, family. Now, where do they, where do you place them within your objective? Does that change it? How does it affect it? Um, how can that now fit into your pathway? Do you need to change your objective completely? Um, as long as that you have that clear vision in place, then that's where I think my own personal drive comes from. As I say, everyone will have their own different views of how they want to get there. That's just my way and how I and how I see it. And how I try and affect the young players that I work with, I try and get what really makes them tick, what makes them understand. And that goes back to earning their trust. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And their respect. That's how I set about it. Trying to create that relationship. Once I've got that then that gives me an easier way to be able to find a way to help me get them to where they want to get. Um, I never want to, you know, you see coaches, well, I've, I've got to do this to get you here. No, it's your vision. All my job is to try and help you get there and find different ways to do that. So glad you said that because, you know, for, for years I've been grappling with the idea, how do you define the role of a coach? And, I, and I've, kind of, I've kind of landed on this one. Uh, the role of a coach is to help the individual, whether that be a, a mentor to a mentee, a coach developer to a coach or a coach to a player, the role of that individual is to get them to from point A to point B, but point B some being somewhere that they've decided they want to go to. Yeah. But helping them along that way when they necessarily can't do it with, by themselves. 
um, and whatever that looks like. Sometimes it might be right. I'm going to be direct with you. Sometimes it might be right. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions to make sure that's actually what you want. Like you, you know, like you just explained there. Um, but I think the key bit about what you said is you can have a role in mind, but actually, why? What is it that you actually want to achieve from doing that? And I think when people start to unpack the impact that they want to actually have, they might actually recognise actually it's not the role. Mm. It's the perception of what that role offers, but actually, if it's after the the impact or the the variables within it that you're trying to actually grasp onto, if you like, there's so many different ways in which you can have that impact. Um, but the question I did have: Can it be coached? <laughs> can it be coached? Yeah, we can try. <laughs> we can try. So yeah, definitely, the most definitely. It's, it's a debate. I mean, I think there's there's one of them ones. Where I think I'm not sure if it can be coached, but I definitely think it can be influenced. Yeah. I think a lot of it's down to consistent exposure um, more than anything else around that that mindset. And I think so, a lot of it is, is down to mindset. And I think anything to do with that can essentially be impacted and influenced at, at some point. So I guess now at Charlton, you know, you've had your period of time at Barnet, you've had your period of time at, um, at uh, Brentford, sorry. Um, what have all these roles taught you about leadership? Because, you know, you talked there about, you know, build, building that trust, developing that relationship, you know, essentially you know building a rapport and developing a rapport with players so that you can have a bit of a you know you kind of got a bit of a master key you can always have the door open half open with them now because you've got that rapport you've got that relationship so there's always an opportunity to step in and walk walk through that journey with them um what what, what you know what are some of the things that's taught you about leadership what what does leadership mean to you even leadership means empowerment for me it means empowerment of others so as, as um you know as i've gone along so i went from brentford to Barnet into a first team role from Barnet to Leighton Orient as assistant manager before I landed it at Charlton. Um, and the further you go into coaching, it's not just the relationships that you create with, with players, it's a relationship with your staff around you, the fans that you're starting to interact with, it's their love of their football club as well. And you have to empower people. That's leadership for me. Um, knowing that you are not the the be all and end all of every decision that is made that you don't have the answers to everything and that it's okay to be in a room with people that know more than you. Um, it's okay to to get things wrong and to step back and say, you know, you're the expert in this area, in this field. You lead, you take control of it, you tell us where we're going with this. Um, so that's that's been the key thing for me. Initially when I came in, it was you know, the word like gaffer and boss and all, all, all these terminologies like for some in some way that, that that person at the top knows everything and we've all got to follow whereas it's actually leadership for me in all the different roles certainly at Brentford which demonstrated the amount of staff good staff and I'm not just talking about coaching staff we had staff in all in all, right away across the MDT that was so so good in their roles and it's now about how to how to utilize them ultimately to draw that all that knowledge back to the players. So for me, leadership is, is that it's empowerment of, of people. I love what you said then. I guess the one word that really just jumps out at me as you're speaking, I just can't, you know, is collaboration. Yeah. That collaboration piece and understanding, recognizing we've all got our strengths and areas for development, but actually we all we are, whether you know, whether we know it or not, we're experts at something. Let's draw on the fact that we've got all these different people in this room, different lived experiences, different journeys, and different knowledge. Uh, you know, I think I think it's such a key point that you, that you made there. So I guess 
that's you know that's 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 what a positive maybe uh collaborate collaborative relationship looks like but a lot of people struggle to get to that then mm-hmm. um because sometimes it is that mindset of well coach is king i'm i'm in charge so i know everything but actually uh, as you as you've experienced and I, and I totally agree you know it's much better to collaborate than to not because you know the, the, the things that we don't know that we, and we won't know that we won't know them until we find out so i guess how do we you know what would your advice be to those people that maybe are in that phase of actually i know what i'm doing i'm 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 good with that because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a difficult one to break down yeah my, my advice with that would be to put yourself in in positions where you are and you know i don't want to be one of those cliche podcasts but You've got to put find a way of getting yourself out of your comfort zone. You've got to find just you, don't don't turn things down because it feels a little unsettling or a little uncomfortable. Don't go for the safe option. Uh, take risks with 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 your career path. You know, we talked about where your career can take you because you've got the objective, and it will take you to places where. You now, for example, I'm I left Barnet, and I and I'll be really honest, I had no plan. I just felt that actually I'd been at Barnet for a period of time. I'd gone through 18s, 23s, first team. I felt that I'd progressed this where I needed to progress and I needed and I took what I needed to take from Barnet. But so I made this conscious decision, right, I'm gonna leave at the end of the season. Had no plan, nowhere to go. And I'm sitting on the sofa, and obviously you explore your network and you talk to the people that are close within your inner circle to support and help and try and to come up with what's going to be the next stage for where you're going to go and and, and out of nowhere a, a call from from Leighton Orient came in sitting on my sofa and said you know what are your plans at Barnet they didn't obviously know that I was made the decision to leave um and they they said we'd like we'd like you to come in and, and talk about coming the assistant manager of the football club um and I sat and I sat back and I thought oh I'm going to go to a, a, a fairly decent-sized club with big ambitions. Ah, is this right for me? Am I ready for this? Can I do this? Have I, have, I, have I got to the stage of, you know, I'm at year eight now. Surely this is year 10. This is the moment. Well, actually, no, you can't pick and choose, Dan. Okay, you're not at year 10. And maybe this is what you wanted at year 10, but it's come at year eight. So, you know, it's not comfortable. Go and have the conversation. Jump in. So, for me, that that's... That's where it, it is. If you if you're struggling with, if you feel that you know everything, well, maybe the environment that you're in, you maybe you do. Go and get outside that environment now. Go and find something else that is going to stretch you. Go and be in a room of people where you know they know a lot more than you do, and be comfortable with that. And that's that. That would be my key advice because that's my experiences. I'm, I'll go into a room and and I went to Orient, um, and I felt ready because of the preparation that I put in place certainly as a coach but you are going into a new environment and by the time I got there I thought actually no I can't do this and I am ready but you know guess what I'm surrounded by lots of good people now and that's fine and that's fine and so that's what I try and do whenever I feel that I'm not progressing and progression for me looks like a bit like that I'm getting to a stage where I feel who's pushing me here and number one I push myself but who else is around me really checking challenging me every day and I feel that I can respect that check and challenge um, and if that's not there for me I'll go and seek it somewhere else because I feel that's just it's a massive requirement so yeah long way around that that question you know, to be honest but I think it's important that you, you go and find different ways to really push yourself 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It, it kind of just reminds me of something I heard someone say the other day about, about, about confidence and real confidence versus fake confidence and that fake confidence is being confident in an environment that you're, you're comfortable in. Mm. But actually, you still have that same level of confidence when you step out of that zone, when you step out of that, that club you're at, wherever you step out of that job you're in and you go into, like you said, a room full of new people, a room full of new people that might know better than you. Mm. You still have that level of confidence. And I think it's about, I guess, maintaining that confidence, but also understanding that, yeah, I might be confident, but it doesn't mean I can't still get better and learn more. Um, I can be confident in my knowledge, confident in my skills, but actually that's just one layer. That's the first level. You know, I've got that, got to that point where I can I can be confident in my ability to do X, Y, Z, but let's take that now and make it super confident, if you like, but actually make it real um, so that wherever we go, we can still have that same impact that we're having in the current environment we're in. Now, talk a lot, a lot, a lot of what you say is really about having, having that kind of growth mindset, really. So, you, you know, thinking about that, across those you know year 11 now you said you're in do you ever come across any specific things that you think to myself you think to yourself i can't believe that's happening or it might be a real bugbear of yours and you think how are people still doing that you know have you have you, have you not got out of that habit you know they, especially now because you know you've been you've been in quite uh senior environments in terms of obviously you spend a lot of time in the pdp you know a lot of stuff in and around the first teams now is there any stuff that you're thinking have you have, you know have you not done any education <laughs> <laughs> uh not, not so much done any, any education i've been very fortunate that, that that where i've been um there's a lot of lot of good people um it's just more what i would say in that what i've learned from the academy development football to senior football it's so advanced development football now it's so advanced and i think the reason it's been able to evolve and move as quickly as it as it has is because it is not governed by the, the result the end outcome and i think that fear in senior football of the three points on the saturday means everything that maybe you just can't go outside of looking at new ideas and doing things differently and listen there is an argument it's being done we're seeing it being done at the likes of you know brentford and brighton and some of these clubs that are finding new ways um public link outside of england if we're going to look at it finding new ways to compete with, with, with the bigger guys in the game but i just think because development football doesn't have that shackle around it it's enabled it to just grow and evolve and and i say go back to the empowerment of of coach isn't king and maybe you've got that gaffer mindset in senior football where the manager is the one that makes all the decisions and shapes the, the, the philosophy and beliefs of, of certainly of the football department whereas as an academy it's a living breathing thing where everyone is able to have their say and their input um, and their expertise is enabled to enables development of football to grow and I just think that's probably because I've now had that grounding um, as a coach, that's my foundation. That's my background, where it's come from. I'm able to see the huge benefits that it has, and I just, I just feel that development football is so far advanced of senior football now. Um, albeit senior football now is we're starting to see um, younger coaches coming into the game um, and having that input from development football, and it's almost transitioning into senior football. And I think that's going to be the case because the modern player now requires that. They expect that when they go up. You need to have more. You need to be more sophisticated for the modern player. Um, so that's probably the only the, 
the key differences that I see, not not necessarily lack of anything in, in any other area, just yeah, the involvement of the game, I think, is happening at development level and slowly that's crossing over. No, I, t- I think it's spot on. I think, and I think the, the, the rate at which it is developing is, you know, is, is rapid at the moment, especially with all the investments coming in with, with the NDT teams. You know, so much emphasis on, you know, the, the, the performance, style, performance side of it in terms of the physical performance side in particular. And, you know, you know that that that, that godforsaken M- PMA as well. Um, <laughs> Don't like the PMA. I can't believe I, it. Do you know what? I think, I, I think I think I think it's a great tool. I think I think if used correctly, then it 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 can have, it can serve a real benefit. Yeah. Um, I think you know some some clubs don't use it maybe as effectively as they could or should. Um, exactly. But I think it is time constraint. Time constraints on there as well in terms of how much it, uh, you know work it can take. But um, but you know, coming back to you, talk about some of the, the developments and you know you've you've have some of the things that you've picked up along the way. Who would you say that's um, you know who's who's maybe inspired you along your along your journey? Who's maybe you know sh- shared some messages that you thought that's just really stuck with you? A few, really. I mean, I touched on briefly there network that that I have um, mentors. I think are vital. You know, for if you're if you're a coach that's starting out, that is that is one key thing that I would say look towards quickly, look towards creating, find people that you can trust, that you can respect, that that not necessarily align with your beliefs as well. Um, get a mixture of mentors um, and and lean on them and and go to them for different areas and different needs, which I have. I have three at the minute, and all three. Um, are different and I use them in different ways um, and they've been massively important and they've been there from year one. Um, in terms of coaches, lots of coaches um, through my journey, one in particular, Anthony Hayes, he was a big reason why uh, I decided to pursue the opportunity at Charlton. In my, my view, Hayes is one of the leading coaches in the country right now. He's an exceptional young coach and his mind um, so clever, so sophisticated how, how he sees the game. Um, his delivery is immaculate. Um, and that pushed me and really challenged me. And I knew that because I'd worked with Hazy for a period of time um, uh, at Brentford. And it was no different when I came to Charlton. So Hazy's one. Oz is one that I go to for standards, incredible, incredibly high standards and how he set an environment and created a, an efficient and productive environment at Brentford. Um, so there's lots along the way that I've, that I've picked up, but the key ones for me, because along the journey, which you'll find, you'll touch lots of these people and you'll move on. The constants are are my mentors. Um, they've been there throughout every single stage that I've decided to go through on this on this journey, if you will, that that, that I'm on. Um, so they're massively important to me. Yeah, so, um, you mentioned obviously you've had several different mentors. Um, obviously the will influences you in different ways and you've got mentors currently as well but previously you mentioned how important mentors are and recognizing that as a mentor um essentially they'll be there to support you but one of the biggest challenges i think is well when people are first getting involved into the, in, in the coaching industry or in any industry is that how do you recognize what a good mentor is or where you should go because i think the biggest challenge for a lot of people is ah danny's had 11 years experience let me go and you know, see if I can get some support from Danny. Um, but actually, Danny's experience might be very 
blinkered. Mm-hmm. He might be very uh, limited, but but he might have eleven years experience of just doing the same thing. Uh, and that's not that that's a bad thing. But recognize that if he's had eleven years doing the same thing, then if that's the same thing that you're trying to go into, then Danny might be good for you as an example. Mm-hmm. So you know what what would your advice be to those those younger coaches or someone like listening to this thinking, you know, I've never really had a mentor. Where do I start? Mm. It's a great question because again, it wasn't it wasn't a conscious thing. It wasn't something that I'd set out at the beginning to say, right, let me go and identify these mentors for these reasons with these specific traits in them or even you know so detailed as to say i'm going to have three mentors it just transpired at the beginning so i'm happy to share who they are so jim jim hicks is is one of them jim started with me um uh, i first came across jim when i started my my badges jim took me for um my ua for b license my a license um he took me through some of my youth modules as well and all the way along that journey i just had a real connection with jim um across the courses that i worked on and and after the courses i connected with him again and we'd go and meet and we'd have conversations lots of different conversations around coach development around the choices that i was going to make in terms of the next move potentially that i was going to have some of the people that i was working with and just challenged a lot Challenged everything to be honest. <laughs> I generally come away from speaking to Jim and think I absolutely know nothing about coaching still. <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, but he was massively important uh, and still is to this day. Um, but that wasn't, as I say, that wasn't something that I'd consciously, consciously set out to go and do. And then likewise with John D'Souza. John came around from obviously my time at, at Brentford. Um, he was really good, John, because John didn't have a, a complex of he's an ex-player, I'm the under-21 league coach, and in some way there's some sort of challenge here uh, that he's trying to take my position. It was the complete opposite with John. John was like, right, you're a, you're a player who is humble enough to realise that he wants to learn. So, you know, come and get around me, come and support me. And what you get at from John D'Souza is absolute honesty. Um, there is no airs and graces. If John disagrees with your view or your opinion on a subject or a topic, he will challenge you on it. Um, and that's hugely important for me, that, that, that um, mark of honesty. Um, so John's, so John's someone to this day, John's the, the, the technical development, first team technical development coach at Charlton at the minute. Uh, just transpired that he's, he's, we've ended up working together. Huge support. Um, and then Stuart English at the beginning, Stu sat down with me and we, we um, you know, we, we put the plan together and it wasn't, I think, why I was drawn to Stu because it's very easy for um, heads of coaching, if you will, to sit down and come up with the coaching pathway, if you will, and say, right, there, there's your sheet, tick your boxes and I'll see you in a few weeks time. Stu wasn't like that. Stu left Brentford, went to to, to Birmingham and we talk constantly where we've become friends now and he is following up on I set him a 10-year plan we made this plan together uh, and he's been meticulously detailed in ensuring that I've, that I've followed it so where we've become friends so my advice would be to just put yourself in positions where you start out your journey identify people who you feel are going to really draw out the 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 traits in you that you potentially aren't aware of or are aware of 
um, and you feel that they can help get them out of you. Um, understand that there are areas, um, we'll describe this, there are areas of development that you are going to need and you're potentially not going to recognise them and other people will. Um, and just put people around you with trust, really, because all three of them, that's the key, the key word for me, is I trust all three of them implicitly now. I think that's, that's, that's you know, speak to, but I think that's down to the length of time that you've been around them, mm. how credible that relationship has then become. But it's interesting, you know, you, you, you talked about all three of those individuals and there's kind of three words that really jumped out at me in, in what you said and just kind of are just going off in my head. It's honesty challenge and accountability yep. you know you had the challenge from jim you had the honesty from john and it's Stuart's just right it's accountability now you've set this plan in place mm -hmm. i'm actually going to check up on you to make sure it's getting done almost mm -hmm. not to be on your back no but just to check in and hold you accountable and it's not in a not in a you know, I'm, I'm telling you off kind of way but actually well danny you said you were going to do this mm. It's a mm. ten-year plan. Mm. You, know, you said you wanted this by year eight, you know, but we've also agreed that you know in order to get there, you're going to need to do this by year two, as an example. So I think mm. I think that those are the three key pieces that jump out at me. So, Dan, you know, just just on that, you know, you, you talk about some of the things that you've um, you've picked up along the way, and that you've um, you know you've learned from others, you've been influenced. Year eleven now. End of your playing career, you had no idea that this is what you wanted to be doing. Mm. If you had the opportunity to now go back at that time, never mind potentially going on doing that initial UA for B, but actually at that time when you've left Barnet, you're now thinking, right, I'm about to go into this meeting with Stuart English, head of coach in Brentford. What would be one message that you'd want to give yourself going into first stepping into that development centre journey? And from there on, you know, that you think would have just enhanced your coaching from from the first minute if you if you like um it's a great question um you, you i kind of go sometimes i go back and i think should i have started the journey journey sooner would that have given me would that have made a head start i don't know whether that's the word an advantage of no, that's the word. Because had I done those things, perhaps I wouldn't have been as open to um, the advice that that I'd got and received at the time, as open to saying that, you know, yeah, I'll go to development centre because if that's what's going to make me the coach I want to be, the most rounded coach I can possibly be, then I'll do it. Maybe I'd have had some unconscious bias by that stage had I have had different experiences I, I really don't I really don't know um I'm happy and proud of how I went upset about it um it is it's given me such a foundation to this day to it's almost like a spine that runs down the core of my, my coaching career um I guess I, I think the only thing that I would have changed is maybe just had more of an awareness when, as I say, I take you back to my impact in the dressing room. Certainly as I became an older, more senior player, my impact that I had on the younger players and how, how I could potentially have shaped them, maybe that would have been something that I could have 
taken with me. So when I went into that room, it would have been like, okay, I did this for X reason and I helped this player for X reason. And this is how I was because of it. But I didn't have that. I had no, I was a complete blank sheet uh, when I went into that room. And I think that's probably, yeah, I, I, I'm not necessarily, yeah, it's a difficult question to answer if I'm being honest with you guys. It really is. Um, I'm happy with how I walked in that room, if I'm being honest. And that's, that's fair enough. And I think, you know, we live in such a stressful time. There is lots of times that we can maybe regret things, but I think, you know, to be able to say that I'm happy and I'm proud of where I've got to in, in, in how I've done it, I think it, it is, that's a success, that's a win in itself. Mm. So, you know, well, well done on that. I guess, you know, as we kind of look to round up then, you know, that would have been, that was a question much more around your own experiences and maybe what you could have, um enlightened yourself with at the start of your coaching journey what would be your message that you know if someone was listening to this now whether they'd be starting their journeys or whether they're just looking for that next step or something else that they maybe might not have considered what would be that one golden nugget you think you, you, you could share with us now that, that you think you know what this is something that's definitely definitely got to be taken on board and considered it goes back to this, the same thing you've got to figure out quickly what, what it is you want to do and where you want to go um the bits in between try lots of different things um never never look at things and think well that, that's not for me that's not i don't see how that's going to benefit me in any sort of way um i went into schools as well and i did some community stuff when they changed the, the brentford program over into the community which had absolutely nothing to do with football and at the time i was thinking to myself well, why am i in this situation why am i in this class with this this kid um but it was massively powerful i did it um again that taught me how to to make decisions under pressure and and that all teaching is done in so many different ways and learning is in, done in so many different ways so the one thing for me would be is just don't don't put yourself in a box and believe that there is only one way that fits all um there's lots and lots of different ways to get you to the objective that you're trying to seek to get to have clarity in that but understand that it is it's going to take you to so many different places and then just embrace those places when you go there. Um, be inquisitive, you know, go and try and find different ways um, to get to that objective. Challenge yourself on, on everything that you're doing. Um, and ultimately, for me as well, you have, to, you have to enjoy it. You have to enjoy what you're doing and why, why you're doing it. Um, the whole way along has been such, such an enjoyable journey. And I still feel like I'm right at the beginning. Crazy. It's a, it's a crazy thing to say. I still feel like I'm right at the beginning. I still don't feel like, I still feel like I'm preparing. This is why I say year, we're at year 10. The second, second block is about now using all that preparation to go forward. So just enjoy every single moment of what you're doing. Don't be in any sort of rush. That's the key for me as well. And this is why I did it this way, because, you know, you reference Stu and, and accountability. Stu would always say if I felt got to a stage where I was wavering it for whatever reason, he'd say, you trust in what you're doing. You're enjoying it. It's worked. It's got you this far. Continue to believe in it. And so for me, if, you, if you're starting out, just, yeah, be happy to question everything that you're doing first and foremost. And, and yeah, the, don't be so in such a rush. I think you spot in that last bit, in particular, you know, be happy to question yourself. 
Mm. I think uh, often you get a lot of people in environments where maybe they don't even have someone else around them to question them, let, let alone have a mentor somewhere else that they can maybe bounce off. So I think constantly questioning yourself, reflecting on what you're doing and why you're doing it and why you maybe potentially shouldn't be doing it. You know, I think is a question that we need to be asking ourselves sometimes. Um, but Danny, look, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a really insightful conversation around your journey and your experiences. And, and honestly, you know, I can say, you know, well done where, where you've got to, you know, you, you seem really happy with how you've got you've progressed and, and long may that continue, especially as part of this next 10 year block as well. Um, you know, I'm conscious there's going to be a lot of people that are probably going to have thoughts, opinions and views on, on this conversation. And, you know, if there was somewhere, is there anywhere they maybe can get in touch with you and find out a little bit more about yourself if they wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. Contact me. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on social media platforms. Just send me a direct message. Um, happy to, as I say, at the beginning of the conversation, I'm open. I think it's massively important that, that as a coaching community that we, we share, we share our ideas that you never get to a, a level. Um, you know, hopefully I aspire to get to the level that I want to get to. And I, and I, and I've, you know, the goal, a part of my plan is not to change, is to, is trying to, to, to bring people along with me. And that's a part of the empowerment as well. So don't feel with your, you know, if you're a young coach that's 17, 18, maybe and you're thinking to yourself, I can't really reach out to him because he's at Charlton. Nah, that's the time. Really do that. Reach out, send me a direct message. I, you know, I find time. There's always time to find for people. Um, you know, so if, if anyone wants yeah, anyone wants to challenge some of the things that I say as well, great, fantastic, because I can learn from that as well. Um, you know, so absolutely open to, to anyone that wants to get in contact with me and, and have a chat. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on again, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.